ever wonder about questions that don't seem to have solid answers? Like if God is so good, then why is there so much suffering in the world? Or why should we trust the Bible and who wrote it anyway? Maybe you found the answers, but they didn't fully satisfy you. Well, welcome to Straight From The Bible, where you can find real answers from God's Word. Give us a call if something's on your heart. You can call us right now at 472-1111 or in the CNMI at 323-1113. You can also text or WhatsApp your questions to 671-686-9999. And now, straight from the Bible with Pastor Masih Ideon. Hello and welcome back to Straight from the Bible. This is Pastor Masik and I'm here with my co-host Scott. Great to have you back again. Hello there, Scott. Hello there, Pastor. Thank you. Great to have you. Well, let's go ahead and bow our heads for prayer as we study God's book together. Let's pray. Dear loving Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your holy book that gives us instruction, life, and hope. And Lord, as we study this afternoon, we pray that your spirit please lead us and guide us. Lord, um, uh, no one is wise enough to be able to fully understand your word on their own. And so, Father, we want to claim the promise that you will send your spirit to teach us all things and to lead us unto truth as it is in Christ. We thank you and ask these things in his name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, great to have you all back again for Straight from the Bible, where uh, if you have a question you'd like to call in, uh, we'll have that uh, brought up to you um, uh, later on and just give us a call or go to our Joy FM Facebook page or send us an email and we'll be happy to answer your Bible question. Uh, so we have our, I think our last Bible question from last time is going to be from the book of, do we have it on the, something? Uh, I think I believe it's from the book of Acts and the caller had a question or uh, somebody wrote an email and the question was, uh, what about um, the book of Acts where Peter has a vision of the unclean animals? Some people use that as a reason, as a Bible reason, for them to be able to eat uh, some of the animals that the Bible calls unclean. So what does that question mean? Uh, are we now able to eat unclean animals, or is this just one explanation that people like to use in order to be able to eat what they want to eat? Well, that's a great, uh, great question to ask. So let's go to the Bible in the book of Acts chapter 10, and that's where we find the story of Peter having the vision of a large sheet that come down with all manner of um, you know, unclean animals. And that is found in the book of Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. I can read it, uh, Pastor? Yes, please. You're right ahead, Scott. You okay. can read it as soon as you get there. Yes, Acts chapter 10? Yes, uh, beginning in verse uh, 9, I believe. Nine? Yes. yes, sir. 9 through 13. Peter's vision about noon the following day as they were on their journey and approaching the city. Peter went up on the roof to pray. He, he became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. And verse 11, he saw heaven open and something like a large sheep being let down on earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Okay, great. So there's, uh, there's pretty much the vision. And so he asked him, get up, kill and eat. And this happens two more times. You know, Peter often, three, he denied Christ three times. He had to reaffirm his love for Christ three times. And here again, a vision comes to him. 
And three times he said, uh, the voice comes, rise up, kill and eat, kill and eat. Uh, But then uh, in verse 14, uh, Peter says, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is, and then two descriptions, common or unclean. And this happened three times, and then uh, the vision uh, then disappeared. Sorry, verse 15, uh, before the vision disappears, a voice says to him the second time, what God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. What God has cleansed, that, uh, that you should not call common. And so usually people will read this and they'll say, well, there it is. Uh, the Bible says uh, the animals have been cleansed and we can now eat whatever we want to eat because Peter was given the vision and now uh, it's okay to eat what the Bible calls uh, the unclean animals. Well, here's the problem uh, with, that, with that thinking. First of all, let's look at a few things. Peter was, very, was hungry while he was hungry and he was waiting. And then he has a vision. And in the vision, he sees, of course, all these all manners of four-footed animals and creeping animals. And the voice says, you know, rise, kill and eat, kill and eat. And so when the vision left, Peter then should have said, okay, well, let's go. Well, this is great news. Let's go ahead and go kill some unclean animals so that we could eat to satisfy his hunger. But here's the thing. First, it was a vision. But then look at what happens in verse 17. God gave him a vision, and look at what Peter thinks about the vision. Verse 17 says, Now while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean. So Peter has no idea what this means. So if Peter has no idea what this means, then how could we be so sure about what it means? So what does it mean then? What does the vision mean? And that's very simple. Just read the whole chapter and you'll actually see what the vision means. And Peter will actually tell you what the vision meant. So verse 19, while he was thinking about these things, sorry, while Peter thought on the vision, still wondering what it is, Mm -hmm. the spirit said unto him, behold, three men seek thee. Arise, therefore, and get thee down and go with them, doubting nothing. For I have sent them. Oh, now it's getting exciting. Yes. So he's wondering what it is. And then the Spirit says, people are on their way. Mm -hmm. Go with them. I've sent them. And says, okay, I don't know exactly what's going on, but I'm going. (laughs) And so the vision is never given an answer as to what it is. And so as you read the story down, Peter then meets a centurion man named Cornelius. And as Cornelius shares his testimony, it becomes apparent that God has been moving upon Cornelius's heart, and Cornelius was a Gentile. And so up until uh, really that point, really they didn't do a lot of work to share the gospel to the Gentiles. It was mainly uh, to the Jews. And the reason why was in their thinking, it, they still considered there, there was this wall between them and the Gentiles. But look at this. After he has shared his testimony and uh, tells them what's happening, uh, no, this is before he shares his testimony. This is what he says in verse 28. This is what Peter says. And he said unto them, You know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company, uh, to keep company, or come unto one of another nation. So he's saying, You know the rules that I'm not even supposed to be under your mm. roof, 
because I would be ceremonially unclean because you're a Gentile, you're considered unclean. But then look at what Peter continues on to say in verse 28 of Acts chapter 10. But God hath showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Now, in the earlier part of the of chapter 10, God says, Thou shalt not call uh, that, w- that which God hath cleansed, thou shalt not call common or unclean. So now Peter finally understands, oh, oh I see. it wasn't about an unclean animal. Right. It was about these people that we had for years thought are unclean, that we should never go under the roof. But God has now revealed to me that I should no longer ever do that. That the gospel is to go out to all men. Mm-hmm. And as you read the whole story, you find that Cornelius and his family are baptized with the Holy Spirit yes. first. And so Peter's going, well, they're being baptized with the Holy Spirit. We might as well, we need to baptize them with water. Right. And so Peter is amazed at what he just saw. He is seeing that for the first time, at least in his mind, that the gospel was not primarily to be given only to the Jews and to backslidden Jews. It was to be given to all people. And up until that point, the church was not entirely clear on that. And this is the reason why when the other Jews heard that Peter had gone to uh, to do this, they had called him up to Jerusalem, to the Jerusalem council to answer. Look, Peter, what did you do? And then Peter explains himself. Listen, God led me there. And it was obvi- obvious that God, God's spirit told me to go. And he revealed, they were baptized with the Spirit in front of me. Mm-hmm. God gave me a vision, and now I see that, yes, uh, we are to also uh, proclaim the news to them, and they are just as much a child of God as, as you and I are. And then, the of course, the um, uh, the leaders of the church, the, the young Christian church at that time, they, of course, rejoiced at that news, and they then began to understand that what they had called unclean, Mm. And what they had called uh, common, which were, of course, Gentiles, now they realized that they were not to do that. And now that they see that they are called to extend their right hand of fellowship to any man or woman, regardless of whatever background they come from, mm-hmm. no matter what nation, if they call upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says they shall be uh, saved. They shall be saved. So this has nothing to do with uh, with food. It has everything to do with with people. And so that's why, remember, the secret is Peter had no idea what it meant. Right. So he's thinking about what it means. Then the Spirit calls him to to go there. And then he finally understands what it means. He says, ah, God hath said (laughs) I should not call any man. He didn't say any animal. Right. He said any man, a common or unclean. So yes, dear uh, dear friend, this is a story about the beauty of the gospel, how it is made uh, for all people, regardless of, of nation uh, or tribe or ethnicity. It's for all people. And up until that time, they didn't fully understand that. And uh, that's why Jesus says many things I, I, I ought to say to you, but you can't bear them right now. And so uh, this is one of those things that were explained later on, of course, through God's Spirit. So, yes, it's not about animals. It's about people and the good news of uh, the gospel going to everybody. Great question. Yes, thank you for clearing that for us, mm-hmm. Pastor. 
Next question, my brother. Yes, we have a question from a listener who just called in about a couple of minutes ago when, when you were going through the Acts verse. Mm-hmm. And he asks, what Bible verse does it say, let the dead bury the dead? Let the dead bury their dead. That's actually great. Could you look that up for us, Scott? Yes, I can. Let the dead bury their dead. Now, some people will have asked a question, should I just leave then uh, my loved ones or a friend uh, who, who have died? Should I take that, should I take the words of Christ literally? Well, Jesus is, through that set of passages, he's listing a few excuses that people are making for not making the decision to follow Christ. They're making a few reasons, says, oh, I, you know, I have a house, or this just happened. And Jesus is not telling them to, of course, not build homes and not bury their dead. The real heart of the lesson is, is he's saying, do not procrastinate. Do not procrastinate. Because procrastination, when it comes to deciding for God, is one of the most dangerous things that a person who hears God's voice uh, and not respond could ever do. And so there are these people that come up to him and they're giving a list of excuses. You have it with us, Scotty? Yes, it's from Matthew chapter 8, verse 22. I'll go ahead and read it for us, Scotty. Matthew chapter 8, verse 22. And you can read that when you get there. Okay. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Okay, great. Uh, (laughs) That's pretty much it. Uh, Follow me and let uh, the, the dead bury their dead. And as you go further in verse 21, it says, And another of his disciples said unto him, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Uh, but Jesus said unto him, Follow me and let the dead bury their dead. And if you go up even higher, let's actually begin with verse 19. And this is all kind of in the same subject, verse mm-hmm. 19 to 22. So 19 says, And a certain scribe came and said unto him, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus saith unto him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. Why would Jesus say that hmm. to a disciple? Who's, oh, I will follow you wherever you go. You see, first of all, the person that came to him was a scribe. Now, a scribe in those days had some privileges and, and advantages and benefits in society. Christ was essentially telling him that if you're coming to me because you want worldly influence and, and wealth and, and a name, then I'm sorry, that I cannot offer you. And that's why he's almost giving that person bad news because he's basically telling them that you may have a motive in wa- wanting to be with me for the wrong reasons. And he says, the foxes have their places to go. And the birds of the air have their nests to go in and sleep in and raise their young. But Jesus says, I have nowhere to even lay my head to sleep. I have nowhere to go. He's, he's basically saying, I am not offering you or anyone anything of this earth. And if you join me and connect with me, you're, and you really want to be with me, mm-hmm. you're going to do it because you love me that really was going to be the only thing you'll ever receive. And, and th- then as you go down, uh, then an- another disciple says, oh, let, let me go do this, and let me go bury my father first, and uh, you know, I'll, then I'll come and follow you. And then Jesus says those words, follow me and let the dead bury their dead. 
He wasn't saying if somebody dies, you know, don't go bury them, let somebody else uh-huh. do it. That wasn't the point. He was really saying, one, when you follow God, it's going to ask for everything. God is not asking for a little bit. He's asking for all of you. God isn't asking for 99.9. He's asking for a complete 100% surrender to his kingdom. And so when we follow God, it ha- one, it has to be for the right reason. And number two, you have to follow him with everything you have. Because a true disciple will follow God with everything that he has. And so, uh, let the dead bury their dead, meaning let the things of this world take care of itself. Let the words of this world be the words of this world. And once, uh, the Bible says you put your hand to the plow, keep on following. And don't look back. And the Bible actually says to turn not to the left or to the right, mm. uh, but keep moving forward. Great question. Great question. Thank you for answering the question. We're going to move on to the next and our next question, it reads, what is behemoth in the book of Job? Okay, great. Behemoth, yes. Uh, the book of Job does have some animals uh, that, that are mentioned. One of them is uh, this, uh, this behemoth. Uh, behemoth, yeah, the, the uh, word is behemoth. Let's go to the book of Job then, chapter 40. And we will find this word behemoth. And Scott, you can read that when you're there. It's chapter 40, 15 through 19. Job chapter 40. And this is a good question. Thank yes, you for sending is. this in. Yes. Because it, is a, it is an interesting one. Mm-hmm. 40, uh, chapter 40, 15 through 19. 15 through 19? Yes. Okay. Look at the behemoth, which I made along with you, and which feeds on grass like an ox, what strength it has in its lions or loins, what power in the muscle of its belly, it takes sways like a cedar, the sinews of its thighs are close knit, its bones are tubes of bronze, its limbs like rods of iron. It ranks first among the works of God, yet its maker can approach it with, the, with his sword. Okay, great. So this is a this is a creature. Wow. Yeah, what kind yeah. of creature is that? That's a good question. <laughs> and, 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 you know, that's a great question. I'm really glad. <laughs> right. There are some animals in the Bible. The Bible mentions it's very clear what they are, and there are some that the Bible mentions that we have no idea what it is. We can only um, guess by the description as to what, what that may be. Now, based on that description, this behemoth, and usually when you say behemoth. Your, the word behemoth has come to describe something really big, really large. And so this description is a, a very large animal and a very mm-hmm. strong animal. Right. And uh, apparently very, very mighty and very big. And the answer is we, we don't know of any animal like that exists like that today. Uh, the elephant doesn't necessarily fit that description. And how about a rhinoceros? Does the, does uh, it does it fit one? F- not necessarily. Right. De- describing, if you look at the characteristics, it doesn't necessarily fit all of it. Mm. Uh, it it may if you study that closely, but it may not. Oh. But uh, here is where people kind of as close as they can get to the description, uh-huh. they assume that it's probably a dinosaur, some oh. kind of dinosaur, some something really large, yeah, something huh? very very wow. large. 
And of course, we have, of course, all of these fossils of dinosaurs, Mm -hmm. uh, and they have been found. And uh, and some, of course, may have been hunted down over the years, uh, you know, of course, way after the flood as well. And so... The description that we we could see that it was a uh, it was an animal of course that a it was vegetarian, really really large, it may have very well been a, a dinosaur. Now, uh, there are some there are some dinosaurs of course that may have been hunted out, mm-hmm. and the word dinosaur for those of you who may not know simply means terrible lizard. That's all that it means terrible huh. lizard. <laughs> and so when you think of a dinosaur, it's not necessarily this huge huge animal. You have small, smaller dinosaurs. Yes. A big example is a crocodile. That's a small dinosaur. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, funny enough, we have crocodiles in Palau. And the biggest one that I've seen uh, is probably as big as, I think, from this side of the room to the other side. I mean, bigger than that, actually. Wow. And uh, it looks like a terrible lizard. It looks like <laughs> a big, you know, sharp teeth. And not, it's not very pretty. Uh, is it? Is it friendly? Uh, no, well, oh. no, I, I wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't say it's friendly. I wouldn't say it can be tamed, but uh, I did go on a, a little uh, called the Jungle River Boat Cruise in Palau, and we were able to feed a crocodile. And uh, it's a wild crocodile, mm-hmm. but it'll come, and uh, we would feed it, and uh, they would give us these little sticks with little chicken meat at the end. Hey. And the crocodile knows, so she would swim over, and she would jump, and we would eat the, 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 the chicken. And the crocodile's name was Rose. Rose. It didn't look like a rose, but <laughs> it, it its name was Rose. But that creature really is is in, is in essence, you know, a crocodile. I mean, a dinosaur. So there may have been some uh, that were, of course, um, maybe they probably were either put on the ark, either two by two, or they may have been one that you know were in water, whatever it may be. It may not even had to be big. It could have been a little egg, mm. or it could have been very tiny. Uh, we're not entirely sure, but we do know that the closest that we can we can assume it to be would be a dinosaur. And uh, if you look around the world in different cultures, you have this pictures and paintings of a dragon or yeah. stories of a dragon. Those we assume to be dinosaurs as well. And why are they not here anymore? Well, very simple. If you're a dangerous reptile <laughs> and you've caused problems, you, you might be wiped out. Yes. Uh, as there are many creatures that have been have gone extinct. We think of the Tasmanian tiger. We think of many other creatures that have long gone extinct because of, of mankind. So that may have been um, another reason. So yes, uh, thank you so much for the question. We we can't say with a Bible certainty, mm-hmm. but the descriptions, we can come as close to wondering, what, identifying what it is. It could possibly be uh, a dinosaur. A great, great question. I'm glad you asked that. Yes. The behemoth. Yes, the yes, <laughs> yes, and and just you know there were these reptile creatures in the water as well, and so they did exist on land and in the water, uh, and so this of course looked like it was on land. It was very large, and uh, we can't give you the name, but the Bible simply calls it behemoth. Behemoth, and it says that of course nobody can approach it. That's right, uh, but only God can because mm-hmm. He made the, that creature and He was there, so. All thank right. you so much for that. Yes, and thank you for answering the question, Pastor. I, I like those questions, yeah, Scotty, you know? because it's it's mysterious to it me is. as well. And uh, yeah, there's a whole there's a whole science about it that I really like. Uh-huh. I wish we had more time to talk about it when we talk about uh, creation science and things like that, and some of the animals and the reasons for their sizes. Then, oh, you know, a little fun fact: this would have would have been a pretty big animal. It right. would have been a very big animal, and you know, they did find a fossil of a giant a beaver. I believe it was a, yeah, it was a beaver 
that was about 13 feet. Um, yeah, it was standing 13 feet tall. Wow. So there were animals that were very large uh, back in those days. And so, yeah, uh, this may have been uh, on the larger side. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason why, like what you said, it's, it's extinct. It's yep. very dangerous. We yep. can't live with the animal on land as well as seeing that creature walk around. And Yes, yes. And then there's some creatures that are, you know, like for a crocodile. Crocodiles, you know, they're, they're I, I wouldn't say... The, 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 you know, they're just a different kind of creature. Yeah, they stay on. They stay in the sea or the ocean, the river, yes, yes. wherever. So it's it's you know there are some creatures that you can tame mm-hmm. and kind of feel safe around, but of course some animals uh, just because of their nature, mm-hmm. uh, you're just cautious about. And crocodile right. is is one of them. So that's right. Yeah. Okay. Great, great question. Yes. Now, now my mind is expanding, and I know what to tell my sons when I go home. About this behemoth in the yes. Bible. You, do, you, know? you do find a lot of them. Yeah. You'll find the word Leviathan as well mm-hmm. uh, and many other things. And so some of the creatures you can kind of, people will say, well, that may be a hippopotamus or a giraffe. Uh-huh. And some of the descriptions may be close. Uh, but then this one, uh, this one is, uh, this is one of those that I, I personally, I can't give you an actual name. Yeah. And I don't know if the Bible gives you an actual name. The closest is that we could say is definitely a dinosaur. Mm-hmm. Definitely a dinosaur. I've seen a hippopotamus before, and that's not no description of a hippo. No, to me, no. You know? Yeah, no. And, and a little fun fact, because I like animal fun facts. More people get killed by a hippopotamus than any other animal in the world. You know, that? my son told me that. Yes, your son is right. Your son is very <laughs> right. That's a, that's, a, that's, a little, that's a fact. Wow. More people get killed by hippopot- hippopotami than any other animal in the world. And so, yeah, this is... One of those creatures we don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, it was obviously vegetarian. It was very, very large. And uh, you know, Scotty, growing up, I really loved studying animals and reading about mm-hmm. animals. Wow! And so especially reptiles. Reptiles just fascinated me, and they still do today. And so this one, yeah, the closest <laughs> that we can come close to is some kind of reptile. Yeah, nice. a dinosaur. All right, we have about two minutes left before our halftime break. So you got those questions? Go ahead and give us a call on Guam, 671-472-1111 in the CNMI, 670-323-1113. You can listen live online at joyfmradio.net. That's joyfmradio.net. We're also streaming on Facebook. So leave those comments in the comment section below, and we'll get it answered straight from the Bible. Our next question, before we jump into it, our um, break. Please explain Matthew 27, verse 46. When Jesus says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? With God being the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, how is it that the Father and Son became separated? Was this because of Jesus accepting the burden for our sins? Please provide any other Bible verses that will help me understand further? That is a great question. And uh, yeah, that's a good question. I yeah. think we're going to spend a lot of time on this mm-hmm. one. And so we're going to go into our break very soon. But I just want to repeat the question before we go into our break. And the question is, is it Matthew 27? Verse, verse 46. Verse 46. And uh, this is, of course, when Jesus cries out, Eloi, Eloi, sabachthani," which translates as, My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? And I think the questioner is asking, uh, if God and you know, the Holy Spirit and the Father, if, if they're one, if they're one, 
why would Jesus cry that out? Mm-hmm. Did God separate from Jesus at the cross? Uh, and that's a great and uh, great question. So we are going to go ahead and study that question out much more further. We have a few seconds until our break. Mm-hmm. And once we get in there, we'll come right back, and then we will spend uh, some significant time on that particular uh, particular text or particular question. Yes. All right. So it is now okay. 5.30, and uh, we'll come right back, and we'll see you soon as we go back to studying the Bible and straight from the Bible. We'll be right back. into life where you connect with the source are you locked up i don't mean just a physical cell but a private room of pain and suffering many of us lock ourselves up in a dark room of pain and we don't let anyone in not even god jesus yearns to give us relief from such loneliness and darkness in revelation 3:20, he reminds us that he's at the door of our dark room just waiting to come in listen i stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. It can get quite lonely in our private pain room. And Jesus offers his intimacy, his presence, his grace, his light, his compassion, and his peace. Let him in. For more insights and resources, plug into Jesus101.tv. That's Jesus101.tv. Plug into life. Welcome back to the second half of Straight from the Bible. Call right now with your Bible question. In Guam, it's 472-1111. In the Sinai, it's 323-1113. You can email your questions anytime to Bible at joyfmradio.net. Submit them online at joyfmradio.net. Or message us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash joyfmradio. Join us now for the second half of Straight from the Bible. All right, welcome back to Straight from the Bible. This is Pastor Mystic with my co-host, Scotty. And we're going to go ahead and go into our second half of our episode. But before we do, let's bow our heads one more time for a word of prayer. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we want to ask and invite your presence and your spirit to please lead us and guide us into all truth this afternoon. We thank you and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, before we went to our break, we had one question. And Scotty, maybe you could read that question once more for our listening audience. Okay. And then we'll go into our study on it. Yes. The question was, I got to pull it up again Mm -hmm. here. Please explain Matthew 27, verse 46, when Jesus says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Okay, great. So the the question is, uh, why did Jesus say, uh, My God, my God, Mm -hmm. why have you forsaken me? There are a couple reasons why Christ said that, uh, and we'll, we'll we'll cover the first one now, or first one. The first uh, reason why Jesus said, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" or as He said, "Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani." The reason why He said that is because uh, it was to fulfill 
prophecy. It was to fulfill prophecy. If you go to the book of Psalms, chapter 22, you find that these are one of those prophecies of the Messiah that was fulfilled by Jesus. Now, there are over 333 prophecies of uh, of, of Jesus in the Old Testament. And this is one of those prophecies that we find in uh, Psalms chapter 22, verse 1. And Scotty, maybe you can read it when you get there. Yes. Psalms chapter 22, verse 1. Psalms 22, verse 1, and it reads, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? Wonderful. This is a Psalm of David. Now, one of the prophecies that Christ fulfilled was his very words at the cross. At the cross, Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in Psalms 21, verse 1, David prophesies uh, one of the things that Jesus will say. And he said the exact same words that David said. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So the first one was prophetic. Mm -hmm. It was to fulfill prophecy. So there was a prophecy of the coming Messiah and how he would be treated. Now let's go to the book of Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53 is a prophecy of how the Messiah who would come, how he would be treated, and how his life would be. Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. Okay. And uh, Scott, maybe you could read verse 4 through... Let's go ahead and read verse 4 through, uh, let me see, to 11. Let's 11. Go ahead and, yeah, let's do that. Okay. Verse 4 from Isaiah 53. Surely he took up our pain and bore our sufferings. Yet we consider him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We are like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Mm -hmm. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before it shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth by oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the, the living for the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord, Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his, off, his offspring and prolong his days, and he will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he suffered, he will see, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteousness servant will justify many, and he will 
bear their iniquities. Okay. Their iniquities. Yeah, wonderful. Nice verse. When you read these set of verses, you actually come across some words to describe how he, this man was treated. Now, this is a prophecy of, of the Messiah that was to come. Now, he was afflicted. He was beaten. And the Bible even says it was the will of God that to, to have affliction brought upon him. So, there was a prophecy that the Messiah would be treated this way. And so, when Jesus came, the, the, the question is, was he treated like this? And the answer is absolutely yes. He was abused. He was afflicted. He was mistreated. He was scourged. Mm -hmm. He was whipped and beaten and spat upon. And finally, they nailed him to the cross. And so there was a prophecy about Jesus, the coming Messiah who would experience all of this. But I want you to look at another text in the book of John. In the book of John, chapter 8, I want you to see what Jesus says. Jesus speaks about how he would be treated, but then he, he says something regarding his relationship to the Father. In John, chapter 8, uh, let's go to the book of John 8, verse 29, and you'll see how Christ is, says, or how he describes his relationship with his Father. Scott, can you read that when you get there? John, yes, chapter can. 8, verse 29. And it reads, the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what he pleases. Amen. 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 So Jesus says something that seems to kind of go against what we just read. He says, he, he has, doesn't leave me alone. And yet when we find him at the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So... How do we then make sense of Jesus saying those words? Yes, it was prophetic. Mm -hmm. It was prophecy that he would say it. But why? Why did he have to say it? Now, it actually goes back to the Garden of Gethsemane. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus uses an interesting phrase, and he says, uh, uh, if this cup pass from me, or let mm -hmm. this cup pass from me, yet not my will but thy will be done, O Lord. You see, in the garden, uh, he, he, he basically says you know, he, was, he was dying, and overwhelming sorrow fell upon him, and it was so sorrowful, and, and whatever he was bearing was so heavy. The Bible actually says that they were, uh, he was sweating great drops of blood. Now, if you look at that, uh, can anybody ever sweat blood? And the answer is yes. You know, they have found that when people are under such immense, intense stress, I don't know the whole science behind it, but they say that you're under such stress that the little capillaries, the little vessels in your skin, they burst open. And then, of course, it mixes with your sweat, and then it comes out. And so it looks like you're sweating blood. Mm -hmm. And so Christ was doing that in the garden. And he was under such enormous stress in a weight of something that the disciples could not see. And it was killing him. And he describes it as a cup. He says, if this cup can pass for me, yet not my will, but thine be done. So he was symbolically drinking a cup that was killing him, that was a weight upon him. So what was it? 
Well, what was his cup that he was symbolically drinking from? Okay. So let's look at that together. And let's go to the book of uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 2, verse 9. Hebrews chapter 2, verse, verse nine. number 9. And it reads, But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with the glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Okay, great. Yeah. Uh, the Bible says he tasted death for everybody. So he tasted something. And so obviously Christ tasted death for everybody else. So the, the cup that he tasted was, of course, uh, the cup that we should have drank. And that was, of course, the cup of God's wrath against sin. It was the cup of God's uh, hatred and punishment uh, for, for sin itself. Now, let's look at that a little bit more. Let's go to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 25, verse 15. And, Scott, you can read that when you get there for the sake mm -hmm. of time. Jeremiah, chapter 25, verse 15. And verse 15. And it reads, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me. Take me... Take from my hand this cup filled with the wine of my wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. Okay. This is the cup of the wine of his wrath. Okay. And my version says the, the cup of fury. Oh. Uh, man, fury is a strong man, yeah. Fury of God. <laughs> the fury of God's wrath. Uh -huh. Okay. Now let's go to the book of Job chapter 21 verse 20. Job, Job. chapter 21 verse 20. All right. Job chapter 21, verse number 20. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let their own eyes see their destruction. Let them drink the cup of the wrath of the Almighty. Okay. So once again, this expression of a cup is repeated over and over and over. Yeah. The, the cup of wrath, the cup of the wrath of God, the, the cup of fury. Now let's go to the book of Psalms 75, verse 8. Psalms 75, 8. Yes. 75, 8. Eight, Psalms 75, verse number 8. All right. And the hand of the Lord is a cup full of foaming wine mixed with spices. He pours it out, and all the wicked of the earth drink it down to its very dregs. Okay. So once again, you see there's a cup filled with uh, uh, wine, it's, it's uh, you know, drinking to the dregs, it's mixed with spices. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to explain a little bit why they did that as we go on, go down further. So this cup is repeated over and over again. Let's go to Isaiah 51, verse 17. Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah 51, verse 17. And this whole concept is repeated over and over. To the Jews, they understood this. They understood the, how this was used. Isaiah 51, verse 17. Isaiah 51, Verse 17. Okay. Awake, awake, rise up, Jerusalem. You who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, you who have drained to its dregs the goblet that makes people stagger. Okay. So we hear that phrase again and again, mm -hmm. this cup of wrath, this cup of indignation, this cup of fury, and then Jesus mentions that cup. 
in the Garden of Gethsemane. What cup was he saying, oh, let this pass from me, it, yet not my will, but thy will be done? It was the very same cup that is being described in the Old Testament. It is the full fury of the wrath of God against sin. Now, look at this. Let's go to Revelation chapter 14, verse 10. And, Scott, you can read that when you get there. Yes, I can. Revelation 14, verse 10. Revelation 14, verse number 10. They too will drink the wine of God's fury, but has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb. Okay, great. Thank you, Scott. And so my version says that it's, it is mixed without, uh, it's without mixture. Okay? So once again, there's this cup that they have to drink. And this is not a happy drinking. Oh, no. Uh, this is uh, something that's very, very uh, horrible to them. So what does, this, what does this all mean then? How does it tie in with what Jesus experienced when he said, My God, why have you forsaken me? Here, here it is. Jesus became a man. He was born the, the way that mankind is born. He lived the way that mankind lived as a human being. Mm -hmm. The only difference was he lived a sinless life by the grace and power of his Father. He, he only lived a sinless life based on his, depending on his Father every single day and every single moment. And so he was born in man's normal birth. He lived uh, a righteous life in man's place as a man. And then he died man's death. He didn't just die man's physical death. He experienced uh, the final eternal death of a separation that we would experience uh, between us and God if we did not choose God. You see, there is a separation that is described in the book of Isaiah 59, verse 2. It says that sin separates us from God, Isaiah 59, verse 2. And so when it separates us from God, uh, there's no life there. There's mm -hmm. only misery and woe and, of course, death. And so Christ had to experience everything. And so the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. So Christ experienced the punishment for sin in man's place. So when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was saying the words of what a man would feel when God separates himself from him. When he does not make God his, his intercessor and his hope, mm -hmm then the only alternative, of course, is death and punishment. Now, remember this. God does not create us so that he could punish us. God punishes sin. He hates sin. He hates sin, but he loves the sinner. And that's why he sent Christ to come in order to give us a chance to be saved. And so he took our punishment, and as he did that, he gives us the power to be able to separate from sin. So that once we separate from sin, God will then punish the sin mm. and not the sinner. However, when P 
people hold on to the sin, they will then experience uh, the wrath of God against sin. And so when Jesus said those words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was in his humanity experiencing the full weight of the wrath of God against sin. Now, that's why in, in, the, in, in Matthew 26, I believe, uh, it says, you know, let this cup pass from me. Mm-hmm. He was drinking the cup. What cup? The cup of God's wrath. Now, why would they use the symbol of a cup? There are two reasons uh, that, that I could recall. One was the cup was um, uh, sometimes if a, a, one way was a person was given poison. Mm-hmm. And they're saying, you know, you're going to drink this poison. You're going to die because of what you did wrong. So go ahead and drink it. And uh, that was one way that uh, people would do it. That's one way they say. But you see, the cup is described as being one, as you read earlier, mixed with spices. And in, in Revelation fourteen ten, it is it is without mixture. Now, what does that mean? Is it mixed or is it not mixed? Well, it is mixed with spices, meaning sometimes a person was given a wine and it was mixed with some kind of strong uh, spices or potions or uh, vinegar, whatever it was in order to make it stronger. So mm-hmm. that when a person drinks it, he is just, you know, the effect is stronger on him. And, of course, they tried to do that with Jesus at the cross. They gave him, uh, you know, wine mixed with, uh, I think, myrrh and, and, and vinegar in order to try to numb his pain. But he wouldn't receive it. And so this thing that is given to us symbolically, it's going to kill us. Mm. And it's going to be very strong. Now, in Revelation 14, 10, it says it is without mixture. Now, is, what does that mean? It's not referring to, to, to other, uh, other spices or anything like that. It's referring to not being mixed or diluted with water. And this concept that the Greeks had used, and it was very normal, the Romans, it was very normal. When they would say, can you mix us some wine? They were basically saying, pour us some wine. So they would, and wine usually was given a little bit of water, of course, to make it more, but to kind of make it not as strong. And so when it says without mixture, it means there's no mercy added to this. There's no grace added to this. There is no hope added to this. Mm -hmm. When you drink this, it is the full strength and the full power, and you will surely suffer as you drink it, and you will surely die. And that is what Christ had to experience. He had to be punished with a punishment that had no mercy. He had to be punished with a punishment that had no hope. So he had to experience the full punishment of God for a lost man. You see, that death that Jesus experienced, that separation and pain that he felt, that was supposed to be your guilt and your pain and your death. It was supposed to be mine also. Mm-hmm. We were supposed to take that and drink that because that's our poison. We deserved it. And that's what Jesus had to drink. And that's why at the cross he had to say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He said that for you and for me to give us the hope of us never having to say that ever in our lives so that we would never have to experience what it would be like to experience the full wrath of God 
You see, uh, the Bible says that when Jesus comes back, I believe it's in Luke, it's also in Revelation, uh, there will be people that will say to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us, mm-hmm. fall on us, hide our faces from, from him. And so why are they hiding? Because Christ is, is coming and they still have sin on them. And now they're experiencing what it's like to face the wrath of God without anybody to protect them. No mercy, no hope, and no chance. And so Christ had to experience that hopelessness so that we may never have to experience it. But you know what's amazing is that did the Father separate from him? And the answer is no. You know, God was always there. But God had to allow his own son be punished by God's wrath. That was very painful for God. Very painful. You know, you know, Scott, I'm going to ask you a question. And I think as a parent, you know, the question is, what would hurt you more? If you were to be beaten really, really badly mm-hmm. or to watch your children be beaten really, really badly, what would hurt more? To watch my kids being beaten. And that's exactly it. And God had to watch his own son experience the full weight of his wrath against sin because the Bible says Jesus became sin for us. Uh, Galatians says that he became a curse for us. So basically when you look at the cross and you see Jesus there dying for our sins, it was as if God was saying, you murderer. Mm -hmm. It was the wrath of God saying, you abuser of children, you who bomb buildings and 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 bomb and bomb countries, you you adulterer, you thief. It was a wrath of God aimed at Christ, because it was supposed to be aimed at us, and Christ then came and He took our place. So that's why Christ said those words. He said those words because those were our words. Mm-hmm. He lived our life. He died our death that we may live his life. Those are powerful, powerful words that Christ said. I know the father never uh, left his son, but because Jesus agreed to be the substitute for us, uh, he had to take the full weight and the full wrath of our punishment. And he said those words that every man will say, when they reject God, and that is, mm-hmm. my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I don't know what it fully feels like to be rejected by God, and oh, I yeah. pray to never, ever know that feeling. But Christ himself experienced it. You know, Scott, many years ago, yes. I was in the mountain in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. I was preaching for a week at, at a mountain, and uh, one, of, one of my friends who was a chief in the area, he told me about a, a, another, I think it was his own tribe, and they were a very warfaring uh, tribe. If you did something wrong, they would get back at you very, very seriously. And there was a missionary who had come along, and he had said something and had done something that he didn't realize it was offensive. He had no idea. He was innocent, but they took it the wrong way. And so they got themselves together, and they made the news that they were going to go kill that missionary, and they were going to go kill him. And so when the news reached the, the missionary, he, he, he didn't know what to do. So he asked for help, and so they came down with, with some of his missionary friends, and they spoke to the chief of that group, and they were about to come and kill him. And he explained to them, I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to be offensive. I, I, I'm i so sorry. I, I, I didn't mean to do that, to insult you. 
And so the chief then uh, forgave him. Mm. But then the chief said, okay. Uh, then he called one of his men, go bring out the car- one of the carabaos. And so the men brought out the carabao and put him right there in the center of his warriors. And he said to his group of men, his warriors, and they all had knives in their hands. And wow. the chief said, I want you to go and kill the offender. And so these men with knives in their hands, they came out to that carabao. And Scott, I'm ashamed, it's, it's uh, sad to say this, but they went ahead and they attacked that creature with the full force as if that creature was the one who had had made that mistake. Wow. And when the creature had finally died, the chief then said, okay, uh, the punishment has been made and the offender has been punished. I mean, sorry, the justice has been done and the offender has been punished. What were they doing? Wow. That man had asked for forgiveness. Uh Uh-huh. So he was forgiven. But in their culture... Somebody still had to pay. Right. Someone, yeah, some, somebody always pays yeah, for it. Somebody has to pay because you, so we forgive you, mm-hmm. somebody has to pay. So what they did is they transferred his guilt and his sin to that animal. Uh-huh. And when they attacked the animal, it was as if they were attacking him for what he had done. And when they did that, the animal died. Then uh, the law had, had, been, had been kept. Okay, the offender had died. And that, Scott, is a, a lesson for you and me, because Christ did the exact same thing. Oh, yes. Uh, he was the animal, the Lamb of God, that took the sword of sin so that we may be saved. So I hope that helps you, dear listening friend, to remind you that you are a child of God, that Christ took your place, and no sin so great could turn his heart of love to hate. He loves you, and he died for you. Galatians 3.13 says he became a curse for us. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that he became sin for us so that we don't have to be lost. So with that, let's go ahead and bow our heads for prayer as we end tonight's episode. Let's pray together. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for sacrificing your Son for us so that we may be saved. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you, listening friend, and may God be with you. This is Pastor Masikt and... And Scotty. Saying good night, and God bless you. God bless you. Thanks for joining us for another edition of Straight from the Bible. If you missed out on your question and would like to have it aired next time, you can also email us anytime at bibleatjoyfmradio.net. Submit them at online at joyfmradio.net or message us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash joyfmradio. Join us again next time for another edition of Straight from the Bible. Until then, may God bless you as you study His Holy Word, the Bible.